0: But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, off the ones and twos today, Brandon Newman, who is traveling back home with us yet again this week. My dad, Mike Golick Sr. And uh, yeah, if anyone couldn't tell, dad, based on the Notre Dame background here, if you are watching on the YouTube audience, in your basement kill room with this carefully yeah. hung up to make it look less like a Dexter kill shelter. Uh, Been out in South Bend this week, so Brandon is traveling back home after we helped co-host the Athlete uh, Showcase Awards, the Oscars, here on Notre Dame's campus last night.
1: Yeah, so first uh, about the the backdrop, yeah. um, All these people, when we've turned to the world of home studios because of COVID, people really decked out their their like home studios really well you know we, we had a decent one back when me me you and Trey finished up at ESPN when we were doing it in my basement but I never really did it and behind that picture, it was just plastic, and it did. I it completely reminded me of Dexter, which a show I loved, and just who I was going to kill next and wrap up in the plaster or in the plastic, and and not mess up the area. So I just pulled that picture off the wall that we had and hung it up. It doesn't fit. You can still see the plastic around it. that's just I'm horrible at doing that. Um, but uh, hey, you know it is. It's kind of my background now, which is at least a couple of throw pillows, but then a blank wall. So. Um, unless your mother gets involved, I'm really not very good at this, but I know you're at Notre Dame. I know you did the Oscars last night for Notre Dame and, uh, that, that, that had to be pretty fun. I know it's a big thing for ND and, and, uh, hosting that with Brandon had to be a good time.
0: It was a good time. Yeah. For anyone unfamiliar, it's an award show just for the student athletes at the end of the year, kind of get together and celebrate them. And, We were kind enough to be asked back, Brandon and I, by uh, the folks at the school here. We got to host with uh, two of the current members of the Notre Dame women's volleyball team, uh, Hattie and Paris, who hosted it last year on their own, and then brought us in to help out and host this year. And Dad, it produced a lot of moments that made me think of you because Brandon and I are probably 14 years older than these uh, than these two young women, and so as we're getting to know them, so that we can host this event. We're sitting around in the lead-up, kind of in the pregame before the show. And Brandon, in reference to one of our old teammates, makes a Dennis the Menace reference. And I looked at the blank stares on these girls' faces and realized we've now officially arrived at being old people. So I'm sorry for making fun of you as much as I did because now I I am starting to become you in ways
1: that become more and more real every day. I've, I've seen that blank stare many a time when I brought up something for sure. I, I almost felt like I was going to get it again when I tweeted out about Gordon Lightfoot passing away, a guy that I've listened to all my life and a guy who was 84 years old. But I think I've talked about him so much in the last couple of decades on the different shows I've been on that, that people at least knew who I was talking about. And he's and he's a, a huge, obviously, name in the music industry. But I've been there. I've been there with you, you know, where you just get that you get that blank stare and you're like, oh, OK, you have zero idea what I'm talking about. We're, we, we can get to that with like Aaron Rodgers and some of his teammates with the Jets as far as not knowing what e- each other is talking about, because, again, you're talking about a huge de- age difference.
0: Yeah, uh, we do have a great show today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star rating. Uh, we have got plenty to get to with MVP underwear, uh, the R swooping that yeah. went on in Boston last night, and like Dad mentioned, some interesting age gap moments for Aaron Rodgers and company. Dad, I will say your love of Gordon Lightfoot also came up as we were getting going Because we had walkout music, everyone going out onto the stage, and they asked, hey, if your dad had been here, what would his walkout music have been? And I said, well, probably because he passed the other day, he probably would have gone with Gordon Lightfoot or maybe something by the Eagles. And again, more blank stares, although your love of Gordon Lightfoot is well known enough to where I got a DM from someone, a fan of the show, who asked the other day, unprompted, is your dad okay? I saw Gordon Lightfoot passed. So the brand is strong, dad. You've done a good job cultivating.
1: Though, could you imagine if I was at that Oscars with you with a bunch of college people and I walked out and they were playing, I don't know, Sundown or the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald or Carefree Highway, all those, those kids would have been going, what the hell is this old man playing? What What, what is this music? I, I, it would have been interesting if anybody knew. Probably the most renowned one that people would have known would be the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's one that probably has passed through generations that, that younger people may know, but I, I think that would have got a lot of blank stares on that one as well.
0: Uh, six minutes of The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, oh, just the slowest jeez. walkout, <laughs> Undertaker style. I had to think about, my intro song was Antihero by Taylor Swift, and I had to think, what Taylor Swift song is new enough to where people will recognize this that are 18 to 21 years old?
1: But at the least they'd know it was Taylor Swift. I mean, you know, she, she crosses over such an age group does Taylor Swift. So at least you would have had that. But it, it's, it's a reckoning, isn't it? Uh, you, you're, you're starting to feel old, aren't you? Uh, welcome to the club, my friend.
0: I felt that we used to, on Golic and Wingo, we had a sound of an o- dusty old man mm-hmm. that we would play anytime you or Trey made some dated reference. And as I got up there and started trying to talk about TikTok and any number of things, I felt that playing in the back of my head. And it was yep. so humbling because after, I'm also like meeting the parents of the young women that we hosted with and meeting the other coaches and realizing... Oh no, these are the people that I come back and hang out with now. Like These are the people that I will go and have a beer with after or talk with after are the administrators and the coaches, all of whom are, a lot of them now, my classmates back here working at the university. So this might be uh, among the many milestones along the way of being an alumni, coming back, my tenure was the other year. This trip, among many, has really driven home where I am now in life. And I'm comfortable with it. I'm totally fine with it. But the dichotomy has never been more clear
1: than this one trip. But the biggest thing I think it does, as, and this, this isn't just for us, this is for everybody as you get older, when you're dealing, like if you're parents and you're dealing with your kids' friends, yeah, you, you have to think about, what the subject matter is, like if the kids are going to understand it at all, you know, no matter what you bring up, you know, you you, it, you may reference something that they have zero clue, just like, uh, just like uh, Dennis the Menace, or if you bring up some other show, I, I know you were talking about, uh, they were doing TikTok to the, um, um, uh, uh, geez, why am I forgetting the, the sitcom oh, the Fre- that you The said. Fresh Prince of bel Yeah, Fresh Fresh they did, they did a, a TikTok
0: to the Fresh Prince song, and I questioned if any of them, Even knew what the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was. It was a TikTok sound that had made the rounds, that had been the popular one of the day. And uh, that's humbling, because like I've always said, for some people, Ice Cube is the guy from Ride Along. And the Sands of Time can be awfully cruel (laughs) to a lot of people. Uh, Coming up next, though, let's get to the Sands of Time. Spinning us forward into a very important moment in the NFL offseason that we would like to offer up a little bit of advice. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S. White Plains, New York. So, Dad, we've got uh, the next interesting juncture in the NFL calendar coming up, and one that fans are probably a little less aware of in general. I'm sure the diehards all know and excited to get a look. But rookie minicamps get going this weekend and next weekend for the players that were just a part of the NFL draft. Now, it's going to be different for everybody because for the drafted players, a lot of those guys have contract stuff to work out. So some of them don't get on the field while they're trying to hammer out the details of that. But we see all the announcements for undrafted players, guys at the back end of the draft, and then the tryout guys who are just getting their shot in this rookie minicamp weekend to get going. So I, I ask this not to old shame you, but genuinely like... What was your guys' setup when it came to this portion of the offseason? Did you guys have rookie mini camps like this in the 80s?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely did. I mean, so, again, I got drafted in the 10th round by the Houston Oilers back when there was 12 rounds uh, in the draft. And, yeah, all the draft picks, you show up to rookie minicamp. And, I mean, it, it's a it, – now, if you go there as a first or second-round draft pick, you're, you're feeling that. Now, our first-round pick was Ray Childress – And this is back before the rookie wage scale. He held out all the way till we broke training camp. I mean, so he wasn't around for any of this, as a lot of first rounders were back then. There was a lot of holdouts back then. Now you don't get that anymore because of the rookie wage scale, which I think is fantastic. The rookie wage scale is something that needed to happen. Uh, And I'm glad it finally did still get paid a lot of money, but you kind of get slotted and there really is no reason by the time you get to camps, you never really have a holdout anymore. So here we did with at least our first rounder. But yeah, I I tell you the the nerves um, were being a 10th rounder, you know, falling off after my junior year when I got hurt my senior year having an operation after the season, not being able to do anything at the combine, but basically stand there and have doctors look at me and then go in the 10th round, you know, certainly was humbling in and of itself. But then there's a the point of, hey, you got drafted, you know, and I know you have your story of being undrafted going to Pittsburgh, which obviously we'll, we'll chat about. But it, it, it was, it's an experience because you go there and one of the first things is you get your number. And I know you, I've never cared about it, but I know you and your generation talk about what numbers are cool and what numbers aren't cool. Well, let me tell you, for a defensive lineman, 68 is not cool. All right? That's an offensive lineman number. Not a defensive, you know, we played a 3-4 there, so I was a nose tackle. Oh, by the way, something I never played in college. (laughs) And all of a sudden we were in a 3-4 and I was a nose tackle at 280 pounds. And I was issued the number 68, and I didn't care because I was issued a jersey, so that's all that mattered to me. But yeah, 68 was not a great number by any stretch, but man, just the nerves. And and my dad always rang through my head, and I tried to pass that on to you guys as well. In a situation like this, keep your mouth shut and your ears and your eyes open. You know, learn from the, the, the people that are there. Listen to the coaches and, and the people that are there, especially when the vets started to show up. Try and learn the ropes, you know, and, and don't, be, don't be someone they're waiting on. Never be late. You know, God, we, we wouldn't do that anyway. We have a fear of God of being late. Oh. But just that first time going through everything until you got on the field, that was kind of the safe spot because you knew you could play football. So once you got between the lines, it was just whatever the drill was, whatever the period was, it was football. And in minicamp, you're not really doing anything crazy, especially a rookie minicamp. You're just kind of learning the system. So everything off the field was nerve wracking. Everything on the field was kind of the safe space that I was in. Well, especially because
0: on the field, you're still basically playing college football at that point. Like, you're playing against other rookies or other younger guys in the league who hadn't accrued years. Like, I went to three training camps, and because I never made a roster, when I would go back and start the offseason program, I did three rookie mini camps. even as a guy who had been out of college a few years. But you're playing college football. Most of the players out there aren't very good. It's all pretty basic stuff because you're just installing over a couple of days. The number point is accurate because – I got issued 67 when I came in, which isn't a terrible number for an offensive no. lineman. No, it's, it's certainly not. not a great number, but there was me, an offensive lineman, and then a rookie defensive lineman who both got issued 67. And I remember everyone kind of looking over and going, well, they don't plan on one of y'all being here, and uh, yeah, you're going to yeah. have to figure out who that is. And so that's kind of the realization early on, too, when you've got these expanded 90-man rosters in the offseason. I think, actually, the most recent change, it's just one cut down now in the NFL. Now it is, Because yes, they halved it off is. one of the preseason games. They wanted more bodies, so now you can carry 90 through the last cut. But you got it in that expanded roster, and you realize all right, just based on the numbers available, this ain't college with all that repeat nonsense. There's one handed out up here once you get to the 53 plus 13. And we knew pretty early on that was going to be the case once we both saw that 67 hanging in
1: the locker. Well, that's exactly right. Because college, obviously, you can double up on numbers. And yes, it's a it's an experience because that's what you start doing from day one is I'm sure you start looking at other D-O o linemen. I started looking at other D-linemen that we had, and we drafted – one in the, in the first round, like I said, of Ray Childers. You knew we was going to be there. Richard Bird, I think, uh, I think, was from Mississippi, was in the third round. Good dude. We actually became very good friends. Uh, and others, you start looking at that. And then when the vets come in. And now, when I was playing, there was no 90-man roster. We would have like 120 guys on the roster. We would have basically 12 to 15 defensive linemen. So, to get your reps... You know, you had to make the most of them if you, you know, again, being a 10th rounder, you had, to, you had to, to kind of get your ups. And for fans, a lot of times they just care about the top picks. They know they're going to get the playing time. But, you know, this is inside a little bit. This is, this is 120 guys who are trying to make their dream come true. Or really, the last 40 guys, you know, the back end of that roster, just to try and make that team and what you have to go through to do it. And that's what you do every day. Man, how is the guy? Because you can't you can't control how the guy you're competing with to make the roster is going to play, but I I, I compare it with golf when you know how they say uh, if if a guy is standing off the green and the guy who's putting. If he misses it, the guy who who is standing off on the side of the green wins. And they say, well, that guy doesn't yep. root for him to miss it. I say that's BS. He may not out loud root for him to miss it, but you don't think he's standing there in the fringe of the green, you know, in his head going, miss it, miss it, miss it. I mean, he wants him to miss it because he's going to win a tournament, right? So when you're out there on the football field, while I'm friends with those guys, I I can sit here and honestly say when a guy that I'm competing for a roster spot with is doing one-on-one or is in the game, it's kind of a natural thing to say, man, you hope he messes up, right? You can't control it. I'm not going to will it, and it's going to happen. I can only control when I'm on the field to make a play. But, yeah, I mean, it's starting to be self-preservation for a, you got to do well, and B, you need some people to not do well, especially when you're a 10th round pick or an undrafted free agent. So that thinking comes into it. And anybody that says they don't think that, I don't believe them one bit because that, that's part of a process that can help you make a team. So it's is, it is, it's tough. I mean, it is nerve-wracking for, for most of the guys at those camps.
0: It's the damn Hunger Games out there. Because like you said, it's a, it's a limited supply of reps the further and further along you go in that process. Yes. And I'm with you. I came to Rookie Minicamp. I had played center and guard my entire college career and in my entire life. And as soon as I get there, when I talk to them on the phone, hey, we want to sign you as a priority free agent. You're one of the you know top guards left on our board. And I show up to Rookie Minicamp, and they've got me yeah. situated in the depth chart at right tackle. And I am many things athletic enough to play tackle (laughs) was not one of them. And so I was scrambling at that point. And like you said, you don't root for like, And you certainly don't root for injury. No one roots for that, but you recognize when it comes, it creates opportunity. And so it took until two weeks into training camp when another interior guy got injured for me to finally get a chance. And as soon as it happened, I felt terrible for him because I'd gotten to know him over the course of the off season. Right but I also knew now I was going to get to play some interior line and actually give myself a better chance of trying to make this team. It's I think between that portion of it, realizing as a guy on the back end that you control very little about your outcome. Like I always tell guys, and this was the advice given to me by undrafted guys that had managed to make it through a guy like Ramon Foster with this Pittsburgh Steelers who right. ended up with a double digit year career. There was one of their starting guards for a while, but was an undrafted free agent coming out of Tennessee when he was in college We didn't have a draft pick on the offensive line the year I went to Pittsburgh in 2013. It was four undrafted free agents. And Ramon took us all under his wing and said, you're going to have to step on people's necks to get to where you want to go in all of this. You're going to have to push guys at the end of play. You're going to have to get in fights. You're going to have to do something to make people notice you because you're coming in and you're getting two reps a period more often than not. And your goal with those reps is to get yourself four reps the next time you get out there for a period. And try and keep maxing those out when you go and go through This And you got to kind of get over the bright lights of, oh man, these are people I've been watching on TV forever. Like watching right now, the New York Jets players go through this with Aaron Rodgers, even the star players who are saying, oh my God, the Garrett Wilson's of the world, the young players, Elijah Vera Tucker, who are like, I'm gonna be able to tell my grandkids, wow, I played with Aaron Rodgers. Wow, this is amazing. You gotta kind of get over all that stuff early because you look around and you see all those dudes. You gotta go block them. You gotta go do your job here, or else you won't get to tell anyone you've been playing with them for very
1: long. I'll tell you what, he he gave you gold advice because that that's what I would tell young players as I was getting up in the years there, and even when I was done and talking to young players, I said, and it's even worse today for you guys. Because you can't go two practices in a row with pads. I remember going to your camp when you were in Pittsburgh, and the morning camp, you guys are in pads, and it's the only, and, and then in the afternoon, you're in shorts, which does you absolutely no good. It does a yeah. lower draft pick or an undrafted free agent absolutely no good. And because there's only one hitting session a day, the coach may give more to the regulars because you're not gonna hit that much, so it even takes more reps away. And I, I've told that to young players as well. I said, you need, to, you need to make the coaches stop the film at night and say, look at that. And that will get you extra reps. And that's what it's all about. He's right. You start out with two reps, you try and get three reps. You try and get four reps. When someone screws up or the, someone gets nicked, they call you to go in next. It's, uh, it's a process. And then the big thing is... And this is what happened to me in college as well. Now, now I don't know if it was the same for you. When I went to Notre Dame, it was all the freshmen first. We all practiced together for three days, uh, you know, mm. first without pads and then put pads on. And again, you're going against guys your own age, you know, and, and you, can, you can kind of start to get the pecking order of it. And I felt pretty good, you know, out of coming out of that. And then the vets came in and then all of a sudden you're lined up and there's the juniors and seniors you know, the, the Tom Thayers, you know, in, who I ended up playing against in, in the pros. He was the guard and Phil Paz, Derek out of tackle, and you're lining up and getting your ass whooped going, wow, this is different. And it was the same in the oh. NFL when I went to the Oilers. It's the rookies first, and then you go to camp, and the next thing you know, I'm one-on-one, I'm lining up against Mike Munchuk. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, now this is a dude when I was a true freshman at Notre Dame, He was a senior at Penn State, and I got in that game and played, and he wore me out then. And here I am, the next time I see him, I'm lining up against him as a rookie. And, you know, he goes on to have, you know, the Hall of Fame career that he had. And it's just, but, but Ramon was right. You need to get over the fact of who you're lining up against and say, I need to show well against these guys if I want to have a chance of making this team.
0: I remember Ross Tucker, our, our compatriot here, was a guy I met my sophomore year at college uh, at Notre Dame. We had the same. He, my offensive line coach, Tom Verducci, had been his O line coach in the NFL. I think with the Cowboys when he was there, uh, or one of the stops along the way. And I remember Ross either in person with us when he came out to talk, or on air one time telling the story about when he got to camp and he was there with LeVar Arrington. And Ross is a young undrafted guy and gets into a fight with LeVar and like. I think grabbed him, like, end up getting grabbed by the throat. People pull him apart. And Ross is thinking, like, oh, my God, I have just, you know ticked off one of the biggest badasses on the team. I'm going to get cut because I was going after him. And he said, he got in the locker room and LeVar Arrington kind of looked over at him and gave him that like knowing nod and smiled at him because he had respect for that moment. And so I get to rookie mini camp or I get to the mini camp after rookie mini camp. So when all the vets show up and I'm running with the threes, the way our rep count worked out, we ended up going up against the one defense every time that we were out there. So now instead of the rookies, it's, you know, Cam Hayward and Larry Foote was the linebacker. Troy Polamalu and Ryan Clark are out there at safety. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to do this. And you know, <laughs> young players routinely violating whatever the tempo of the drill is supposed to be. Yes. The vets are out here in shorts and helmets trying to just go through the reps, get back into the form of the offseason. We're all trying to make a team. So I went up to the second level. I'm double underhooking Larry Foote trying to drive him off the ball. Next thing I know his hand is up in my face mask. The entire starting defense is around me and I'm getting shouted back to the student section there because I was going way too hard, way too early in minicamp. camp. So it, it, the switch gets flipped quick and you've got to kind of toe that line of, all right, I don't want to get my ass kicked every day, but also I, I've got to do something to try and make sure that people are noticing me. And that veteran difference really does stand out once those guys start to rear their heads.
1: Yeah, but you did the right thing. You did absolutely the right thing for a young player. You have to, and you know what? Deep down, those guys knew it because they were in that position one time. I, I did two things like that once in the NFL when I went to Philadelphia. My one thing, I, uh, one other thing, my dad said when you go to a new team or starting out somewhere, uh, get in a fight. <laughs> I don't recommend that always, but you know, it works. If you go hard enough, if you go hard enough, and a fight happens, so be it. And we did nine on seven in Philly. And it was a thud drill, meaning you don't tackle. You just kind of wrap up. And I remember Keith Byers was the running back. And this was my first time, first practice, first nine on seven with Philly. And I went in and made a play, and I dumped (laughs) Keith Byers hard. And he, uh, uh, you know, everybody just started jumping on me and fighting. And I had heard after that, Buddy Ryan really liked that. Now, I tried that in Miami when I went there as a free agent And by the way, Keith Byers was down there too. I was injured the first part of training camp in Miami. And then my first practice, we got to nine on seven and we were walking over there and Keith Byers looked at me and he said, are you going to do the same thing you did in Philly? I said, hell yeah. And he made sure another back was in there who I ended up dumping. And by the way, Don Shula did not like that at all. Uh, So difference in coaches. And then quickly, when I was a freshman at Notre Dame, our first scrimmage with the varsity, you know, the quarterbacks wear the red jersey. I was all hype. I came I came rushing over the blind side of the quarterback, and I smoked him in his red jersey. I smoked him a blind side hit. And man, did I get chewed out for that. <laughs> hey, find a
0: way and set the tone, even if you're going to have to pay for it on the back end. <laughs> All right, so despite what you just heard and learned from my father, D-Lineman, stay out of the damn cylinder. Don't touch the quarterback in practice, you monsters the easiest way to get thrown out of that's insane that you just hauled off and hit your own team's quarterback in the middle of practice anyone who's been a part of a football practice at any level almost knows the one rule you hear especially now is stay out of the cylinder with the quarterback and you just went
1: and completely violated that so I hope you feel good about yourself you sicko you know what listen I I knew I I didn't I, I knew I wasn't supposed to but I was kind of in a zone and I hit him and then I can have kind of a smart ass comment on things. I'm not a, I'm not a trash talker, but I'll just kind of like my reaction on Twitter is I'll quote tweet something. I don't never come up with something original. I quote tweet it. Here, you know, when when the old linemen were trying to fight me, I basically just as a freshman, this is me as an 18-year-old freshman telling these these upperclassmen, well, maybe if you blocked better, I wouldn't have hit them. <laughs> that didn't go over well either, let me just say. <laughs> but it's true. True short on
0: confidence.
1: Yeah.
0: I <laughs> say it. it is true as the one thing we've heard Michael Sr. never a pass rush specialist so that was no, uh, definitely an no. indictment of them as That's much as exactly anything right. um I I did want to get to uh the NBA we had action last night but before we had that the MVP going to Joel Embiid Set in course a butterfly effect that I could never have imagined. Joel Embiid (laughs) finally winning his first MVP as an NBA player, leading to an intricate discussion of Nikola Jokic's underwear in the Denver Post was nowhere on my bingo card. I had to check in the day and age with the blue check marks running wild on Twitter, not knowing what's real. I had to check so many times to see if this Denver Post article was real or not. It was written by a man. uh, His last name was Kisla. And, From what I understand, people in Denver do not ascribe to this belief. No one is backing this up. This appears to really be one man alone with his opinion who wrote this very real headline. Sorry, Mr. Joel Embiid, but we all know Nikola Jokic is real MVP of everyday Budweiser drinking peeps. Now, ignoring the very racist dog whistle notion of this entire argument from Dude, it led to one of the most insane sentences I have ever heard written on paper, which is this. I am not ashamed to admit to spending so much time in the Denver locker room, waiting for Jokic to shower, dress, and share his self-deprecating pearls of wisdom that I know this man has a wicked funny taste in boxers. After silencing Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Grousing Sons, who seemed to have beef with the ref after every whistle, Jokic slipped into silly boxers that proclaimed, that's what she said across his booty. Dad, in all your years covering sports, have you ever heard someone talk about what's written across the ass of an NBA player?
1: No, and supposedly where sponge, uh, SpongeBob underpants are our, our boxers as well. I have not, but I mean, because he is right. You got to wait till the All of us come out of the shower and get dressed. So you're standing there, somebody gets dressed. That's something you're going to notice. I'm not going to lie. If someone throws on a pair of boxers and there's SpongeBob on it, or that's what she said across the booty, you're going to notice that. No doubt about it. Because you see the the full dress that he is, you don't realize what he has on underneath. So that's really kind of uh, taking it to a level there in the locker room. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, using that as the basis of, again, underscoring that this everyday Joe-looking white guy is the MVP of the Budweiser drinkers isn't saying, not to admit, Nikola Jokic didn't do anything other than show up and be him. This weirdo just happened to be taking stock of his underwear every day to use to bolster an MVP argument. And it's interesting where it lands us on the other side now because we did have the actual MVP return to the court last night and... We talk about how awkward it can sometimes be when a regular season award gets handed out in the postseason. The MVP coming back and playing after missing 13 days with injury and their team getting rocked by 40 is probably not the visual you like if you're the NBA at large. Like, Dad, I know I'm sure people might do the, well, you won game one. Harden went off, is it really worth bringing Joel Embiid back in game two when you already stole home court advantage, you've got a big man coming off a knee injury, and you want to try and get this right for the rest of the series? This probably feels like an instance of a player in Joel Embiid who just got the award that matters most to him, who's been chomping at the bit to get back on the court. Probably not a guy you were going to keep off the court last night. And there were some places where he looked a step slower on defense. He still was affecting the basketball around the rim. Still a lot of great block shots. And the story ends up being more the effect it had on James Harden, who had... Coming off of his 45-point outing, a much lesser night on on the court, you probably weren't going to keep Joel on the court. So I don't feel like that argument about, well, should you have really played him, was going to hold much water. Because you know, sometimes, especially a player of that caliber, you're not going to make him do anything he doesn't want to or not want to do.
1: Yeah, he played 27 minutes, scored 15 points. did have five blocks, only three rebounds. You mentioned Harden. Harden was 0-6 from three-point land, just 12 points. This is one of those, it was kind of like the, um, the the Jimmy Butler with the Knicks, right? So Butler stays out, you know, sprains his ankle in game one, but they get the win, sits out in game two. Now, I don't know if he was ready to go and dick game two, but a lot of the chatter was just sit him because you don't play again till what, Saturday? So you have all that rest. And for Embiid, we're talking about a knee. Butler rolled an ankle, which can be really painful and linger for a bit. But it doesn't, depending on the severity, a sprained knee is worse, right? And even Joel Embiid said, I'm probably four weeks away from being 100%. But we we all know you don't have the luxury of waiting four weeks. But I I would have thought seriously about sitting him in game two and not coming back for that one because you get the long break now, or at least more of a break before you get to game three. Because the big question isn't so much – him playing and what he was like, it's today. How is he today? That's always a big thing in series things like this when you're dealing with an injury. It's not so much the game day, but it's the day after, that recovery day. How does that knee feel? Is it, did it Did it swell up? on him you know how much treatment does he need and that's when you know you're getting better when that next day you don't need as much treatment until the point you don't need treatment so that's what i don't know where was he treatment wise if he says he wasn't going to be 100 for a few weeks i don't imagine it felt great today so that's why i would have thought long and hard about sitting him for game two you got the split you got home court just like miami did miami goes back now to miami they have home court split one one Philly now goes back to Philly split. They have home court. Just like we think tonight, we think the Lakers are going to get rocked tonight by golden state, but then they go back to LA and you know, they're, they have home court because, because they took that first game. So that, that, but you're right. The player, you, you, you want to listen to the player, but you also need to explain sometimes to the player, Hey, this is what's best. This is a, what we think could be a seven game series so this is the thought process of it right now and why maybe you should sit. Now, maybe he was feeling well enough to go get a few minutes, again, 27 minutes, just to see how he was moving and maybe knock off some of the rust to get ready for the next game. That uh, that could have been their thought process as well.
0: Yeah, well, I'd agree. Like, in an ideal world, you don't play him in this game. You accomplished right. your yep. goal as a road team coming in. You went out there and got that done. You know Joel's importance. And quite honestly – the effect that that clearly had on James Harden, right? Looked out of sorts the entire night. That was also a big part of this. And so maybe you wanted to get through that uncomfortable phase now. And maybe again, Joel Embiid, who has an influence in all this, you're talking with the players, you're talking with the medical staff. And like you said, if it's borderline with the stars, they're going to have weight in how these things go. And Joel Embiid in the middle of his MVP celebration, we saw his teammates mobbing him the other day, telling them, I'm going to play tomorrow night. Joel Embiid, we know, fiery competitor, wanted this for a long time, and I'm sure there's part of him that you could understand, athletic mindset-wise, saying, I just won this award, I'm not going to then sit out the next game and have that visual out there, I'm going to go help my team, and when it ends up going sideways, to this extent, and I mean, the starters for the Sixers didn't play nearly at all in the fourth quarter, that game got broken out of hand, You, you can understand the score spirals out of control for that reason, but absolutely sitting him would have been i think ideal strategy wise for the long term the right way to approach this but the athlete brain isn't always the most rational thing when it comes no. to decisions like this when it's borderline
1: well that, that's why someone else needs to step in that's why we talk in football with a head injury someone needs to take a helmet away you know and, and there are times to listen to players and times to not listen to players all players for the most part all players are going to want to play right i mean they're just going to want to play but There has to be, it's weird to say, an adult in the room, right? That says, okay, I get it. You want to play. And I know it's coming off you being named the MVP. But let's, again, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to win the NBA championship. And to do that, we've got to beat the Celtics in a seven-game series. And to do that, we need you really healthier than you are right now. And to do that, you may need to sit out game two because we already have home court advantage. So it, it becomes the big picture broken down into little pictures. But obviously he played. Again, I, I don't know what the rehab is like today, how much he kicks some rust off. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but this was actually a game It was, what, an eight-point game at halftime. It, and then the third quarter is when it just – Absolutely, you know, unfolded for Philadelphia and, and Boston took over in a game where Jason Tatum only had, what, seven points because he was in foul trouble. Can't remember the last time he was in single digits. Uh, so it was really after halftime they took over in this one. But uh, uh, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see it's, if there's and we're not going to know if there's a lasting effect on, on Joel Embiid. No, no one is going to tell us that.
0: No, no, they're not. And, and you brought up the Jimmy Butler comparison. It's a little bit different because Jimmy Butler was, you know, the game before it was the immediacy after that with Joel, right, you're in that right. gray area of it's a few weeks removed, but I'm sure everyone's got the specter in the back of their head of the couple of years ago, the playoff series against Atlanta where the guys playing and playing incredibly well with an injured I think it was a meniscus that year in his knee. Like injuries have been such a part of the Joel Embiid experience and you're trying to keep him healthy enough to make this accomplished in the postseason. What happened with Boston last night was probably inevitable, right? Jalen Brown steps up and ignores what happened in game one, the lack of shots that he took after the first quarter. You get the bench production that we know is pretty synonymous with the NBA in the postseason. Grant Williams with 12 points off the bench. Malcolm Brogdon with 23 points and was unconscious, six of 10 from three. Those are what we expect from role players in home environments. And If you're looking for a place where maybe the knee affected Joel Embiid and really kind of threw off the Sixers defensively in general, wasn't meeting guys at the rim. It was the Sixers' ability to get out and recover on the three-point line. There were a lot of really open shots for the Boston Celtics over the course of that night, moving the ball into the perimeter and then kicking back out, and the closeouts just weren't there for Philadelphia. And so we go back to Philadelphia, and you're right. At the end of the day, this game could end up being – A great spot where they knew, hey, there's probably a pretty good chance Boston comes back out with their hair on fire, but we can knock this rust off with Joel, we can head back home, and as long as that knee's not swelling up or not doing anything like it did for the last couple of weeks, now you're in much better shape. And you're right in comparing it, too, to what we're getting ready to see tonight, like You and I both expect Golden State's probably going to hammer time what should be a very tired Lakers team, led by a big man who put in 40 minutes and a guy who's 38 years old in his 20th year who looked gassed at the end of that game as well in LeBron James.
1: It will be one of the biggest surprises to me, and I think a lot of people, listen, I don't think we're the only two saying this, that it's going to be be one of those nights. Uh, Golden State knows they can't go down 0-2, though... Though, again, they came back in the last series. But still, uh, in in their home court, I think they're going to get this one. We know they've had a horrible record on the road, uh, even though they took out Sacramento. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I I certainly expect that tonight um, out of Golden State. And for Embiid, his quotes after the game, he said, I felt pretty good to play, and I felt like I could help the team. Then this is the line that, that I think I understand. He said, I feel like I just got this out of the way. Disappointed by the loss, but that's a step toward getting back to myself. So maybe that was part of it. Get back out there. You know, you can't can't simulate, you know, it's tough to simulate true gameplay, even in practice if you try and go hard, and nobody's doing that in the playoffs in practice. So maybe that was really a big part of it, and that's what we talked about earlier is go knock that rust off, go break a sweat, get back out there, see how you feel. Because, again, when you're coming back from injury – now, now this one isn't fully healed, there's the physical part, and there's there, then there's the mental part of what can I do, you know, okay, I feel like I can, do, I can do this, but can I really go, you know, all out and do it, and maybe that's what he wanted to find out a little bit, so he, as he said, I kind of got that out of the way, so I do understand that thought process.
0: Yeah, and and again, that's where the specter of past injury comes into play and having to make sure you're in a position to overcome that. And I think at multiple points, especially going up and blocking shots, changing direction quick on the offensive end, battling with Robert Williams on the other side, I think you saw him be able to bank some of those moments that you can turn into capital for the next game. Now you're going back home. Now you feel like you got your feet under you a little more and you can really turn this thing loose. And then for everyone else – having to make that adjustment. I'm not surprised that that turned into an off night for James Harden, right? You insert this force back into your lineup. James Harden was really candid about his role in all of this after that 45 point performance, when he said, I really can't win with people because for so long I would go off and I would have these great ISO James Harden games, especially in the Rockets era. And people would say, well, you can't win like that. You can't win deep into the postseason with a guy that pounds the ball and goes out and does that. And then I come here. And now if I go for 2011 and five, people are saying, well, you can't be the old James Harden anymore. And so maybe now we do have that mixture but clearly was thrown off enough by reinserting the sun on that team, right? If you're looking for the thing everyone orbits, it's Joel Embiid on that roster, and that's James Harden included, who got to clear out the paint for one game and relive a little bit of the glory days. So they go back to Philadelphia 1-1. We mentioned the Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat go back to Miami, tied 1-1 in that series. The Knicks even the score in the second game there. And then now the Lakers will try and see – if they can defy all of our odds in all of this, and really, this is Anthony Davis. This will be the Anthony Davis coronation if he's able to string two games together back-to-back in this series. And even if they don't win, if they make it close and Anthony Davis has another monster showing, goes out there and is the guy taking the baton from LeBron James, all of a sudden LeBron James comments about one day they're going to have three in the rafters in Staples Center. I'm never going to call it the Crypto.com yeah. Arena. <laughs> one day he'll have that in the Raptors it'll start to sound a little bit less absurd if we get back-to-back. So this was a must-win game for the Celtics, and I think coming up, we've got a must-perform game for Anthony Davis. All right, time to finish things off here with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to end the day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Brandon will be back. We're still trying to work out contractually, getting him to be able to sing. There's rights for (laughs) the songs that come into play here. A lot of plates that we're spinning, but rest assured we hear your cries and we are going to try to make this happen. But dad, uh, let's get to this uh, things that are being made happen. The college football playoff committee on Tuesday released the schedule for the 12 team format that they're going to use for the next couple of years. So we got the expanded playoffs. It's going to feature New Year's Day triple headers, no quarterfinal games played on Saturday, but I think also most importantly for a lot of people, the first round games are going to be played at campus sites that'll start on Friday, December 20th, with three more games also played on campuses that Saturday, December 21st. So, uh, Dan, I know this was something that, as we talked about, why are we expanding? It's not a competitive thing. To me, it's an inclusivity thing in the conversation around college football. Having these games on campus sites matters for what we talked about. The effect of lifting more people into the CFP conversation. Would it create more exposure? Would it create more of a financial windfall for some of these programs that have been either middle of the pack power five teams trying to work their way in group of five teams like Cincinnati hosting a CFP game at your home site is like having college game day come to school. It's going to be massive for these schools to try and capitalize. We saw TCU Cincinnati all work off this attention that they got through the course of these seasons. And so I think that's really important that this actually came to fruition.
1: Oh, me too. I mean, they had to expand whether it was going to be eight, 12, 16, wherever it was going to go. Uh, this had to happen. And we'll see. We'll see if we catch a flyer one year. I know a lot of people still think it's going to be those top dogs. And it very well may be. It very well may be. But to include all the others in the college football playoffs, is good for recruiting. You get to play more games. I, I love it. Now it's going to open the door. You wonder. We've already already asked. We see players skipping bowl games now to get ready for the next level. We haven't had that yet. Of at least of a guy who wasn't injured, of the final four, which is what we have now, skip games. Now we're going to go to twelve. It will be interesting if there is a player that does that, right? If if there is one who you know because there's there's more rounds now, is going to skip out and say I'm not going to put myself in position in another game or maybe two games or three games. Uh, so that's what I think a lot of people are going to wait and see. But I love this, and I love it at the campuses. It'll be really interesting in December, It would, depending on what campuses these are at, uh, what it's going to be like. And then you have the quarterfinals, December 31st. You're going to involve the, the Fiesta Bowl, and also then the first, the Peach Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl. Um, and then the semifinals is the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, and then you have the championship in Atlanta. So I'm excited for this. This had to be done. I'm glad they worked out. You knew it was going to work out and all they had to figure out was the money. And we know that's what controls everything. And once you figure out the money, you can start to do these kind of things.
0: Yep. Exactly. That's really all it boils down to. So uh, now we do wait and see with that. And I think that's the other gamble, right? Is will this entice more players to stay? If you've got a shot at the title on some of those teams, or will it prompt something we haven't seen yet? Um, Let's get to that. Uh, Something we've seen plenty is the match. Uh, The pairings that started with Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods playing a head-to-head round with guys like Charles Barkley commenting and all that. We saw most recently with the football side, Aaron Rodgers going out there. I think it was him and Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen the last we saw these guys out here. We got the most recent round of the match announced. Football versus basketball, which, my oh my, after playoff p started that argument, this was welcome. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to team up against Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Dad, we know Mahomes can play. We know Steph Curry is a very good golfer. The wild cards of Travis Kelsey and Klay Thompson on the court are enough to get me into this.
1: Absolutely. See, I I think the, the big thing about this, in all honesty, I don't care about good golf. This is supposed to be kind of back and forth, right? Even if you want to do side bets, all these guys make enough money. And we know golf is full of side bets, which the first time like we saw Phil and Tiger, you know, the side bets that were going on. That's what I want to see. And I want to hear it out loud, those kind of side bets, in all honesty. And the fact that you have Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is one of the best personalities out there that needs to come out. And I'm sure it will that he's going to have a ball. And I'll say this as well. Uh, every And this is only the second of the matches that don't involve PGA golfers. You mentioned the first one, the quarterbacks involved, and now you have teammates here. I don't care how many of these they have, the most important thing ever to have in a match is to make sure Charles Barkley is involved. You have to. Barkley has to be and- commentating on this because he is pure gold in all of this. But I think it's going to be excellent because of Travis Kelsey.
0: I agree with you. I actually think, too, they need to bring back J.J. Watt. Him and Charles Barkley in the booth together were really, really good that last time around. And I'll say this. You're going to get Jason Kelsey in some form. If Travis is there, now that they've become a content package at New Heights, you know you're going to get Jason. Hopefully on the booth, maybe you get him down on the course as sort of a sideline analyst roving around in a golf right. cart of his own. I feel like that's... That's what we're banking on in all of this. Clay Thompson's also a guy that's not afraid to get in front of the mic and get froggy too. We remember his injury seasons. He got frosty on air in some of the local broadcasts for the Warriors and ended up almost getting himself into a little bit of trouble. So very much looking forward to that. Dad, let's finish this off with the third. In a day where we had a full-blown article in the Denver Post talking about Nikola Jokic's underwear, we had a full-blown article in the LA Times talking about disputing witness accounts of somebody at the LA Philharmonic concert having a full-body orgasm. Now, people have disputed this, apparently brought up that this woman might be narcoleptic, and this may have been a yell coming out, being startled coming out of sleep, but either way, to see someone actually live out the When Harry Met Sally diner scene is not something I think I'd saw thought I would see in my lifetime, let alone see pen put to paper like this.
1: I mean, this is amazing. I mean, with, with especially you're getting other patrons at the Philharmonic giving their version of it. Uh, someone, someone said, I saw the girl after it happened. And I assume that she had an orgasm because she was heavily breathing and her partner was smiling and looking at her like in an effort not to shame her. But others were saying that they were smiling because They were kind of embarrassed that maybe she fell asleep and woke up and just made that sound when she woke up. So I don't think we have exact confirmation on exactly what happened. The stories though, the ranging stories of what people saw and heard is the best part about this whole thing.
0: Great advertising for the Philharmonic. If this podcast makes you moan with passion, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating and check us out on DraftKings YouTube. Boom. Money in the bank.